Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then we talk about it. This is page 425, chapter 63, The Gilded Cage. After my brief taste of freedom, I was trapped in my rooms again. Though I hoped the mayor was through the worst of his recovery, I, I still needed to be at hand should his condition worsen and he call on me. I couldn't justify even a brief trip to Severin Low, no matter how desperately I wanted to head back to Tinnery Street with the hope of meeting up with Denna. So I called on Brayden and spent a pleasant afternoon playing tack. We played game after game, and I lost each one in new and exciting ways. This time, when we parted ways, he left the game table with me, claiming his servants were tired of carrying it back and forth between our rooms. In addition to tack with Brayden and my music, I had a new distraction, albeit an irritating one. Codicus was every bit the gossip he seemed to be, and word had spread about my story genealogy. So now, in addition to courtiers trying to pry information out of me, I was deluged with a steady flow of people eager to air everyone else's dirty laundry. I dissuaded those I could and encouraged the especially rabid to write their stories down and send them to me. A surprising number of them took time to do this, and a stack of slanderous stories began to accumulate on a desk in one of my unused rooms. The next day, when the mayor summoned me, I arrived to find Alvaron sitting in a chair near his bed, reading a copy of Fiorin's Claim of Kings in the original Eld Vintic. His color was remarkably good, and I saw no trembling in his hands as he turned a page. He didn't look up as I entered the room. That's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. What a great way to gather information in a gossipy court, but to put out the word that you're collecting gossip for a book. <laughs> he seems to take it for granted, though. Like, he's actually, like, he doesn't seem to be that pleased that this is occurring, but, like, he is all of a sudden a person with more knowledge about the court than probably a lot of other people in it. Exactly, exactly. And as we will eventually come to learn, there's a lot of valuable information in there, but he didn't intend for this and he's not looking at it. I think this is almost like a reverse Quoth's tragic flaw where he did something very clever without realizing it and doesn't take advantage of the uh, advantages that it, it doesn't take advantage of the advantages that it affords him uh, because he didn't think of it. It's sort of an accident. Well, and like, he's not like, I think this would be more interesting to him if he was more interested in advancing himself at the court, but that's not really his, his game, right? His only real game is to get the mayor to be his patron. And he has to do this side quest for the mayor to get that. So he's single-mindedly focused on that. I mean, I was just thinking that, you know, the fact that he's getting all these gossipy stories will make his his time spent locked away in his quarters a lot less boring because he can read them all. I mean, he seems to be pretty pleased just uh, doing the, the games and his music, though, in his quarters right now. That's my understanding. Well, as any of us who have been quarantined uh, can attest, uh, you get bored doing the same two things over and over again, and having a third thing to do every so often can break it up reasonable yes and uh quoth has invented court netflix uh i think having an endless list of gossipy uh letters sent to you is the closest thing to a netflix stream that you're likely to have in a pre-television age yeah that's right fun fact i saw on facebook that does actually pertain to this is someone was talking about how 
it used to take hours to churn butter and someone else commented like, oh man, that would be so shitty without having like the opportunity to listen to a podcast about Frankenstein while you're doing it. To which the other person responded, well, it turns out they all hung out together and talked about folktales. So they did sort of have podcasts about Frankenstein. So it's also like, uh, it's, it's the same idea. <laughs> yeah. Folktales, the original podcast. Yep. Uh, do we think that Brayden has an ulterior motive in leaving his tack board behind? Is there a signal in there, a symbol, or is he just genuinely like, maybe he's, maybe this is, you know, this is me being ultra suspicious, but maybe he's leaving it there so that Quoth is ever more likely to call on him. I mean, but if also this he was might just be in future, this case, what he says, if this was future times, I would think that like he'd left a bug in it or something, but I don't yeah. believe that there's that kind of thing in this world. So, well, you could probably do something like that with sympathy. Maybe I'm sure that you could, you could probably make like a, um, a speaker with sympathy. If you vibrated. Yeah. Something. Cause sound waves are just vibrations, which are generated yeah. by like, you know, motion ultimately so if i'm sure if you were really finicky i bet kilvin would love that if that was your thesis project um i am inclined to think that he leaves it for the reason he says it he he says he leaves it like who else is he playing tack with only quote so he leaves the board there does nobody else in the court play tech no he said that he like the reason he shows up at quote's door with a tack game in the first place is because like no one else is you know, worth his time to play with. Well, never mind then. <laughs> Do we have anything else we want to talk about on this one? I have no further notes. Me either. Nor I. We're flying by. We have another letter. Mailbag. This is from uh, a writer who signs off as Scarpy's left nostril. <laughs> who writes on something for Mr. Mailbag. Dear Pagers, thank you so much for your podcast. It's a treat to listen to every day. Fun fact, it took me about 300 episodes to tell Nick's voice from Jeremy's reliably. In the spirit of Rothfuss's universe, I promised myself that I'd only write in with a couple of corrections if I heard certain things repeated on the podcast three times within a span, and that threshold's been met. About 40% of my day job involves teaching people how to understand and argue about the past, so these two come up pretty often at work. So here goes. Number one. You folks sometimes say that something begs the question when you probably mean raises the question or something along those lines. Begging the question means more or less arguing a conclusion from its own premise, like my dog is beautiful because she's gorgeous. I've always been a fan of languages evolving, but the colloquial use of this phrase obliterates a useful concept. Wikipedia has an entry on begging the question that's pretty good. Link. Number two. When you're talking about a particular century, e.g. the 19th, please say the 19th century instead of the 1800s. The reason for this, if you use the 1800s to refer to a whole century, how would you refer to the period between 1800 to 1809 or 1801 to 1810 by some reckonings? Anyway, no crackpot theories of my own yet, but I do enjoy listening to yours. Wishing you Chandrian-free days and nights. I remain Scarpy's left nostril. I gotta say, if it ever comes up in my life that I have to refer to a specific period of time that is a decade in the eighteen in the eighteen hundreds between eighteen hundred and eighteen oh nine. I'll probably just say between eighteen hundred and eighteen oh nine. I'd say the eighteen tens. No, anyway, that's that, the 1810s. no. The eighteen tens oh, no. is between eighteen ten and eighteen nineteen. You could say the eighteen oh, aughts, right. and I would encourage you to do so. 
I think it's pretty much commonly understood that when someone says the 1800s, they mean the century, not the decade. Yes, but this is the kind of uh, pedantry that I totally appreciate. For example, when someone says that they're going to hold down the fort, I want to say to them, oh, is the fort in danger of getting up and walking away? Is that why you have to hold it down? Are you going to hold it because you're going to station a garrison of soldiers inside to hold the fort against attackers? No, I think there's a difference there. Oh boy! Yeah, one of them is uh, one of them is you're in danger of an a, an animate fort uh, standing up and wreaking its will upon the world, so you have to hold it down and make sure it doesn't do that. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that could happen in a role playing game of like Dungeon World. It could happen. I, I I just feel like if I'm holding the fort, that that expects of me a more active role in its defense like i'm manning the walls with a gun rather than holding down the fort in which i'm just playing poker with my buddies I definitely well i'm glad i convinced you both say, saying either the correct or incorrect one so i don't know which one i say <laughs> they're both correct okay fine and will all three of us be correct on tomorrow's page of the wind, wind. Oh, and also, it takes me forever to differentiate the voices of the male podcasters I listen to, so uh, it's it's not personal. (laughs) No offense taken.